This is Christianity in Action, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Albany, Georgia. At First Pres, we strive to bring God's hope and joy to a world that desperately needs it. For more info, visit 1stpresalbany.org. In this episode, the Reverend Joshua Bauer delves into Scripture to explore what exactly Jesus meant when he talked about plucking out a sinful eye. Are there barriers that keep you from fulfilling the kind of life that God has planned for you? And what are you willing to do to remove those barriers for the sake of the kingdom? So here we go. We continue this morning through the Gospel of Mark, where we've been walking through. And things, though, we said last week have taken a turn. Mark 8, the the turning point of the whole Gospel of Mark, we're halfway through. And that's when um, things change. And it starts with a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples that says, who do you say that I am? This is what the people say. This is what you hear others say. But who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And Peter's right. And most of the rest of the Gospel of Mark is spent working out what that means. What it means for Jesus and what it means for everybody else, which is really, in a lot of ways, what the season of Lent does. Help us to work out what that means. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, our Savior. So this is the continuation of the scripture that we used on Ash Wednesday. That was, again, where Jesus predicts his death, I think a third time. And then he puts a little child among them and says, if you're not like this little child, because they had an argument over who was the best disciple, who ranked the highest. Jesus says, no, 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 be like this. And in that culture, being a child wasn't cool. It wasn't like a potentially great adult. It was being someone with no status at all. So this continual theme of Jesus calling the disciples back again and again and again to something deeper than they've currently been willing to kind of see. One thing that I'm not going to talk a lot about in the sermon this morning, but I wanted to mention because it ends this scripture, and it's a weird phrase. Um, Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourself. That's a lot of instances of the word salt in a two-sentence thing. Remember that Jesus, not in Mark, but in Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, his most famous teaching, he says to the people, you're the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, right? And how salt functioned in that society, it was both a preservative, you go to the market and the meat would have to be salted in order to be safe. Uh, safe. It was also, everybody would be salted with fire. Salt purified things. You ever gotten salt in a wound? You know, it burns. Um, so salt purified. Salt preserved things. And salt obviously flavored things. And Jesus said, you're supposed to be the salt of the earth. You're supposed to be salty people. Uh, you, you preserve people in life. You purify things and you yourself are purified. Uh, and flavor this world with the kingdom of God. It's a, a cool image. We're not going to deal with it much, but you can uh, reflect on that later today. Let's read this morning's scripture together. But first, let's pray for God's spirit to move among us. God, on this first Sunday in Lent, quiet in us, every voice but your own, that we may hear your voice respond by recommitting our lives to you. Amen. 
John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, because no one who does a miracle in my name will be able soon afterward to say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. For I tell you the truth, whoever gives you a cup of water in my name, in Christ's name, will never lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a huge millstone tied around his neck and to be thrown in the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It would be better for you to enter into life crippled than to have two hands and go into hell to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It'd be better to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During World War II, at the height of World War II, there was a priest who served at Westminster Abbey in London. This was when Almost every night, the German Luftwaffe were carpet bombing the city. I mean, just an awful, intense time to live in. And one night during a bombing raid, that priest's home took a direct hit. And the priest stood in his yard and watched his house and everything in it just go up in flames. What he had on his back... The clothes he had on his back, the money he had in his pocket, was what he had. That was it. The following morning, he traveled about 50 miles to the city of Oxford to see a friend. While he was there, he went to a store to buy some new clothes. The salesperson at the store was surprised by all he was asking for. Because during a war, you remember at least the stories of World War II in the United States. Everybody is supposed to contribute to the war effort, whether you're in the military or you're a civilian. And if you're a civilian, you contributed to the war effort by cutting back. You didn't have excess. You didn't have too much. You had to do your part. And so she was a little indignant with this guy. Why buy so much stuff in the middle of wartime? So she said to that priest, don't you know there's a war going on? And of course he did. That's the point of the story. But what Jesus says to his disciples here in chapter 9 shows that they did not know that there was a war going on. They did not know the urgency of the moment they were in. Because remember, this is chapter 9, just that one chapter before this turning point in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is done with Galilee. The small potatoes are over. He's moving on to Jerusalem where he's going to fulfill his mission. It's Jerusalem or bust. Jesus has been openly talking to his disciples about this. 
and about what's going to happen when they got there. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into human hands, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise again. And three of the twelve even went up the mountain, remember, and saw Jesus transfigured and heard God's own voice say, This is my dear son. Listen to him. Things are getting real. Jesus' foot is pushing the kingdom of God pedal all the way to the floor. It's time for an all-out, full-frontal assault on the powers of evil. This is D-Day for the kingdom of God. The forces, the armies of good are attacking the forces of evil to reclaim God's kingdom back. Reclaim God's territory. But... The disciples can't help being the disciples. And so as they turn on their way to Jerusalem, even hearing and seeing all these things and all these signs, they go back to their peacetime living. They squabble between one another about who's the best, who Jesus likes the most. They get upset and get all flustered when somebody who's not part of their group does something really good in Jesus' name. And here in Mark 9, Jesus seems to be shaking his disciples awake. N.T. Wright says, the battle has been joined. If the disciples are to be Jesus' allies in this final and vital stage of his plan, then they better sort themselves out and start to see things from Jesus' point of view. Don't they know there's a war going on? So this scripture is a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call from Jesus to his disciples to see the urgency of the moment they were in and to recommit themselves to his kingdom. To recommit themselves to focusing on Jesus and his mission. And obviously it was a wake-up call that they clearly needed. I wonder if it isn't also a wake-up call that we need as followers of Christ today especially as we start this season of Lent, I wonder if we too may need a wake-up call to see the urgency of the moment that we're in and to recommit ourselves to Jesus' kingdom. To recommit here and now to focusing on Jesus and his mission. And if you look at this story from Mark like this, Jesus' teachings here start to make sense. Jesus is trying to get his disciples and us to make a choice. Are you in or are you out? He's trying to get us to live like we really are in the middle of a pedal to the metal, pushing the kingdom of God forward moment because we really are. That we really are living in a moment where there are two opposing forces in a desperate struggle. There's Jesus and his mission and there's the powers of evil trying to stop that mission. And it's life or death. And everybody has got to commit to a side. If we read these teachings with that perspective, you start to understand what Jesus is saying here about cutting off your hands and feet, tearing out your eye, if these things cause you to sin. Jesus here is like my eighth grade soccer coach. A nice enough guy, but man, that dude was intense. And I was a goalie on the team, and I remember at one of the practices, I wasn't particularly engaged. Let in a couple soft goals. And coach, will not be named, came up to me. And he grabbed me with two hands and walked me into the penalty box. 
penalty area, that box right in front of the goal. And he said, look at me. And I did. And he said, look at me. This box is your house. And he shoved the ball into my chest and I took it. He said, and this ball is your family. Now you tell me, what are you going to do if somebody comes into your house to try to steal your family? I said, not let them? <laughs> not let them? You're going to destroy them. This is your family we're talking about. You're going to kick them. You're going to bite them. You're going to scratch them. You're going to beat them into the ground if you have to, to keep them out of your house. Now, was my coach literally telling me to beat my opponent into the ground when they came into the penalty area? No! God, you do that, you get a red card. The other team gets a penalty kick, and you're not any closer to fulfilling your mission of winning the game. You literally follow that advice, and you probably lose. But what he was telling me, the message that was very obvious and that I knew, is that I had one job to do. I had a mission. And I was to be laser focused on that mission. I was to do whatever it took to keep that ball out of the net. So is Jesus here telling you and me to literally cut off your hand or your foot or your eye, tear it out if these things cause you to sin? Of course not. I mean, if he was, you know me. And I can be honest enough to tell you that I would be looking at you with a pirate patch on one eye and I'd be waving this stump around and standing on one foot. Just because I could only cut off one. And you probably would be staring back at me with your one good eye too. And that's the point. We're living in a moment where there are two sides in a desperate struggle. Jesus and his mission versus the forces of evil trying to stop that mission in its life or death. We have a mission. We have a job to do. We are to be salty people. And we can never fulfill that mission if we lose our focus on Jesus. And there are all kinds of things trying to pull our focus away from Jesus. You know that, right? And those things, they use our eyes, and they use our hands, and they use our feet. They use our mouths. They use everything at their disposal to draw us away from Jesus. The forces of evil in this world are doing whatever it takes to pull you away from Jesus in his way, to take you off of Jesus' path. And Jesus in this scripture is saying, Anything other than Jesus' path leads to death. It leads to ultimate ruin. Jesus goes so far as to use the word hell to describe the destination. It's a word that scares people. It scares me. Man, that's got a lot of stuff loaded up in it. Hell. Better to do this than... Go to hell. It has a real meaning. I've said it here before. The word for hell, the Greek word is Gehenna. Gehenna was a physical place outside of the city of Jerusalem. And it served one purpose. 
They would put the garbage in the valley and they would burn the garbage. That's where the imagery comes from of fire, unquenchable fire. And so sometimes the, the garbage outside the city would just smolder as it burned. But Jesus is saying here that there is the kingdom and there is the trash heap. And anything that stands between you and the kingdom, it's got to go. It's got to go. Anything that pulls your focus away from Jesus and his mission, it's got to go. Whatever it takes. In school, my son, son is studying World War II. So we're having a lot of great conversations. Both kids want to know if there's anybody in our family who fought in any of the U.S. wars. And there were, so we're telling those stories. It's a good time. Last week, one night when our kids went to bed, my wife and I stayed up and kept the conversation going. We focused on one person from our family. It was her grandfather. His name was James Staney. Papa Jim to her. Papa Jim grew up dirt poor in the mountains of North Carolina. He liked to tell people that if there was meat on their dinner table growing up, it was because he shot it. And it had been that way for generations. As long as anybody could remember, that was their lot in life. And yet Jim always, always wanted something different. He, he longed, he dreamed for you know, something more. A life outside of the mountains. When Jim was 18 years old, he enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. After basic training, he deployed to the Korean War to be a soldier fighting in the Korean War. His unit, when he left California, had all their summer gear ready to go do battle in Korea. And when they were deployed, they were sent to the front lines in North Korea where whatever time of year it was, their summer gear was not enough. In late 1950, he fought with others in the Battle of Chosen Reservoir. And it was extremely freezing. They would make fires in barrels and they would take turns, the soldiers rotating around the barrel so they could keep their feet warm enough to just keep the frostbite away. The locals, the Koreans would make weave blankets for them and they would wrap the blankets. They would put the blankets by the fire and then wrap the blankets around their legs and their feet just to keep the blood flow long enough to not let hypothermia set in. When a Marine was wounded and had to make the trip down the mountain and couldn't fight anymore, they would strap that Marine to the hood of the Jeep so that they'd be warm enough to survive on the way down. He survived the battle, and he survived the war, and he came home. And decades later, my wife, who was just a little girl at the time, she asked him, Papa Jim, why did you do that? You know, Papa Jim, how could you do that? Go to a place and live that and endure that. Suffer those things. Willingly, you volunteered. Weren't even drafted to do it. And his answer was simple. He said, the GI Bill. The GI Bill. 
It was my only way out of the mountains. Jim Stamey had a mission. He had a mission to live a different life, and he was going to let nothing stand in the way of that. He was getting off those mountains, whatever it took. Don't you know there's a war going on? We are really living in a moment where there are two sides in a desperate struggle, and it is life or death. And we have a mission, and we can't be the salty people this world needs if we lose our focus on Jesus. And there are all kinds of forces trying to use everything at their disposal, do whatever it takes to pull us away from Jesus. So anything that stands between you and the kingdom has got to go. Anything that pulls you away from Jesus and his mission, it's got to go. The ball has to stay out of the net. you got to get out of the mountains, whatever it takes. The obstacles between you and Jesus must be removed, whatever it takes. But here's the good news. They already have been. They already have been. Every obstacle, everything that stands between you and Jesus has been removed. Because there was already one person who was willing to do whatever it took to take everything that stands between you and the kingdom of God and get rid of it. There was already one person who was willing to do whatever it took to take those things that always were going to separate you from God and throw them on the burn pile. There was one person who was willing to himself lay down in the valley to be on the burn pile, to take those obstacles out of your life. One person who was willing to stare down evil and take its best shot, even if that best shot was crucifixion, was giving up his life so that you would not finally be able to be pulled away from him. It's the same one who gave a wake-up call to his disciples 2,000 years ago and who is giving you and me a wake-up call today. The good news is that Jesus was willing to do whatever it took to bring this world and you together with him forever and ever. Whatever it takes to get rid of whatever separates you from him. Whatever stands in the way of you fulfilling your mission for the kingdom. He's done it. He's done it. There is nothing and never will be anything that can finally separate you from him because he was willing to do whatever it takes. And he still, right now, in your life, in this church, in our community, is willing and is doing whatever it takes for those who call on him and commit their lives to him. That's the wake-up call as we begin the season of Lent to recognize that we are living in a crucial moment and to see, to recognize what Jesus has done and what he will do, whatever it takes.
Jesus has done everything possible so that we have the freedom to recommit ourselves to focusing on him and his mission. The question of Lent is really how we're going to respond. What will your response be to what Jesus has done for you? That's the question for all of us. You know you can see the love that Christ has shown you. You can see the commitment that Jesus has made for you. What are you willing to commit to him? Let's pray. God, comfort us with your love. And convict us with, our, with your love as well. Soothe us with your voice. And call us with that same voice out of whatever it is that we're holding on to or struggling with or struggling against. And help us to recommit to your love so that we might fulfill your mission. Amen. This is Christianity in Action, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Albany, Georgia. For more info, visit 1stprezalbany.org.